Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. Deirdre Mitchell-McLean, and my guest host today is Mark Taylor. Welcome back, Mark. Hello. (laughs) Mark and I are going to have a discussion today about, uh, as as Mark said, it's it's an interesting topic, whether or not it is a, whether it's a topic about a lack of empathy or if it's about a lack of accountability. And what really got this conversation going was a press release that came out on Saturday where the government of Alberta announced that they would be letting go approximately 20 to 25,000 people in the education system. So education support workers, admin staff, uh, maintenance, granted the schools are closed, uh, but to the best of everyone's knowledge, Uh, No one actually spoke to the affected individuals before the press got a hold of it. Yeah, and this is is one of the challenges of them. This is why I say it's a bit of an empathy problem. Um, You and I have got some mutual friends that used to be at the Star Metro and um, heard stories when they had their layoffs of people finding out from a tweet. Um, That's not the way to handle a layoffs. I mean, they suck. I know HR people. It's one of the things they hated about their job because these are these are people and it's never fun. But, you know, laying 25,000 people and and these are the things like there's so many layers to this. Like one, it's 25,000 people, as Trevor Toome said on on social media, that's one percent of our workforce. That's huge. And and it was with this big, giant press release on a Saturday, like yeah, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Like, like we're not supposed to notice that one percent of the population of Alberta, working population, now doesn't have a job. Like, like nobody was going to pay attention to that. And then beyond all that, that they didn't get talked to, that they tried to slide it by. Where's the minister in all this? That's right. Minister, minister hasn't been available. Wasn't available on Saturday with the press release. Wasn't available today. Where's the premier? We. We had 1% of our population not working anymore, purely in one false swoop. And and where where's the government commentary on this? And that's that's what's bothering me. This is where I, you know, is it is it a lack of accountability because these people aren't standing at a microphone explaining what's going on? Or is it a lack of empathy because we're in the middle of a pandemic and this is the time they decide they're going to cut 25,000 rolls? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, too, that when, like, I don't, I, I was trying to think, actually, as, as we were starting the podcast, whether or not, because the federal government has tried to put in incentives to keep employees, right? So with their wage, wage subsidy and things like that. But has the Alberta government done anything to try and 
uh, incentivize employers to maintain their employees. I'm just curious if if that's been done. Um, Does well, that sound you're, familiar? You're more up on the headlines than me, so if you're not aware of it, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not. Um, there was there was that four and a half billion dollars that was given, you know, before all this started. That was supposed to help keep jobs. So tax cuts. Ask, oh, ask, don't even get ask, me started. Ask, on ask tax start cuts. <laughs> um, yeah. So okay. So it's it's possible that the it, provincial government hasn't been actually trying to get people to keep their but, employees. But to be fair, to be fair, I don't know if it's the role of the provincial government because um, EI and all this emergency income stuff is all being handled by the federal. So I don't know if that should actually be something the provincial that they were doing. Okay. Well, I will say that actually no, because hold on, Um, because Alberta did initiate an emergency benefit plan because of the fact that uh, the federal government wouldn't be ready to go with some of their emergency benefits. <laughs> oh, 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 are we gonna open that can? <laughs> okay, so, okay, okay. <laughs> so the, the emergency benefit thing that nobody can sign up for because the IT is overwhelmed. Oh, that's right. Yes, nobody can get onto My Alberta. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there was one guy who circulated that he'd called 200 times. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, he took a screenshot of his phone 200 times. He tried calling in. Wow. Okay. So emergency benefits, but not really emergent. Which, which I mean, it was a great idea. There was a ton of people who were um, self-isolating because of necessity or um Various uh, associations, you know, mm. therapy associations were shutting down uh, or recommending closing clinics until the city, the city of Calgary officially said shut them down. Um, but you had the chiropractors that were uh, suggesting things. You've got people who are entrepreneurs and sol- solopreneurs who wouldn't have had access to EI anyway, who were now being put in a position where they had shut down. So the emergency fund was fantastic. If you've got time, apparently, to wait for Alberta, and I don't know, maybe maybe a bunch of people have been laid off from the IT department at the Alberta government we just haven't heard about yet, and there's two people trying to fix code. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So back to um, one of the other criticisms that I saw with that layoff was that uh, that the province was yet again trying to download the problem to the federal government. Yeah, and I I don't understand this this back and forth where, you know, the, the federal government are all the bad guys, they're the source of all our problems, but apparently they're also the source of all our cures. Yes, that, they're the only ones who can help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If 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 Justin Trudeau would just get out of his way, or he could then get in our way to help. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, you can't follow that. Yeah, like, uh. it's, like, oh, we don't have a pipeline. Here's a pipeline. Okay, great. Well, it's not built yet. Okay, great. <laughs> well, you know, we're working on that. Oh, okay, well, here's a crisis. Where's my money? Mm-hmm. Yes, well, we just, and 
we just spent four billion on a pipeline. Yeah, but where's my money now? Have you seen? It was also released on Saturday uh, that Kenny has also demanded that Trudeau fix, or sorry, help out the uh, the oil sands immediately because now the new foreign threat is no longer environmentalists. Although we, I believe we are still paying $2 million for that inquiry. But um, it's no longer the environmentalists. Now it is Russia and Saudi Arabia, which well, is true. I was going to say, I think they're an actual <laughs> threat. So, Yes, yes. They're, they're the ones who actually managed to make oil go from uh, above $20 to under 5 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe the, the lowest that Western Select's ever been at. 358 yeah i think that was this god was that this morning yeah no that was it that was asia markets yesterday right okay. about 5 p.m yeah i i don't know who who knew that you could tell this stuff a day before i didn't know until i started watching the markets and finding <laughs> out that apparently on sunday night you can find out that you know shit is literally gonna hit the fan on monday morning Yep. Yeah, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so... You could, you could also say that, you know, um, the energy forecasters would have told you the fight with um, Saudi Arabia and Russia, Russia was coming. Say, even in February, it was coming. You know, before we wrote a budget, it was coming. But So back to what... What the so, what some of the government has been doing, but yeah, that's like that's just the most recent thing. That was just a couple of days ago. As as you mentioned, neither the education minister nor the premier were available today to take questions about this. So this is technically now three days that they've been on the lam, avoiding uh, the press because they know that these questions are coming. Yeah, and there's really no other reason for it, in my mind. Um, but, but again, that was just the most recent. And so what we had coming up to, uh, coming up to when this pandemic really hit Alberta and really started to have an effect here was we had the provincial government fighting with doctors. Amongst other groups, but yes, that was their latest they, and well, that was, was a, that was a big that, one coming in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that has, I mean, that has been, and again, is it is it accountability? Because we had, we were talking about the uh, the release of the Telus Mobility app, or Telus uh, Babylon yeah. app. Yeah. And how doctors from that, it came out after the release that those doctors were being paid $38 for a visit, or sorry, for a, a virtual visit, yet Alberta doctors had only the day before, because they had been asking, you know, is there, can we get paid for seeing our patients in some other way, some virtual or by phone, so that we don't have them coming into the office, either A, if they're sick, or B, if they're at high risk to become ill, we don't want them, you know, coming into the waiting room. And it took a bit, but the government, the day before they announced the Telus Babylon app would be available for Albertans, the day before they said uh, that they would now pay 
Alberta doctors $20 to do a virtual visit. So then Babylon came and then it was discovered that we were paying their doctors more and and Alberta doctors were really uh, proactive with that. They were like, okay, there's already a platform. They contacted TELUS and they said, so can we use your app? Like, is there a fee? Can we, like, how do we see our own patients with this? <laughs> and they were told they could not see their own patients if they were to register as doctors available on the app. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know how, like, like, like maybe the whole Babylon app and history stuff needs a separate episode into itself um, because I don't think we're done with this. But I mean, it's this, <laughs> we're in a fight with our medical doctors. We, we went into this, there, there was some varying degrees of um, information coming around of how much are their doctors really getting paid? Are they the highest paid in the country? Is it, are we not taking into account operating costs, blah, blah, blah. All that was going on and it was like, screw you all, I'm dumping the contract. You're getting new dollars as of April 1 and you're gonna love it or lump it, we don't care. And then all of a sudden, and it sh and we keep saying sudden, there were signs around the globe that this was eventually going to hit we, here. Yeah, we knew, that we knew this was coming. And then, oh, lo and behold, we have coronavirus in Alberta. We but need our still, doctors. We're still fighting with them. And yeah. and we're continuing to fight. And and you're seeing now doctors on social media who you can tell, first of all, um, they're they're exhausted because they have no other avenue to talk to people other than social media. Two, they're not very good at social media, which is <laughs> which I'm happy for because anybody who's gonna be have a hand potentially in me through some capacity. I'd prefer if they didn't have a phone in it. Um, <laughs> they, they're, they're the ones who like still haven't uploaded photos to their Twitter profiles. They still have eight numbers after their name. Anywhere else, anybody else would be like, this is a Russian troll bot. The, yeah. You know, this is, this is here just to take down the government. This is just doctors who don't understand how social media works, who are just exhausted and acerbated because they've got no other venue other than to go onto social media and lose their minds because they aren't being heard through any other venue. So some of them are still not understanding what they're going to get paid as of Wednesday, the 1st of yeah. April, which that's a problem. That's, that's, a, that's an accountability problem because if, if everything's been fixed, we should be hearing from... Our doctors. doctors. Okay, this sucks, but at least I know I'm getting paid on the first. Now, wipe all that away. Wipe out the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic and there's this fight going on. We're gonna we're going to find an end at some point. Is this the group you want to actually negotiate with? A bunch of tired doctors. They're not going to be keen for anything. Like, yeah. like it. It blows my mind. And then through all this, it's like, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Hey, radiologists, you're next. Like, like, like it was like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they really haven't let up on the on the industry as a whole. No. And, and so where do we put that? Do we put that in like the, the health minister needs to stand up and go, hey, this is why we're fighting. And please don't tell me it's like because we can't afford health care. Donald tried that one down in the States and that went over like a dead bird. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So you, you can't stand up in the middle of a pandemic and say, we can't afford health care. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, if it's if he's not sending up, then why is he doing it? Other than the fact that there's this whole thing that we just don't care. Yeah. No, I I agree. And it has been. Like I said, or like, yeah, we've we're not sure if it is a lack of accountability because they should be answering these questions for the doctors who rely on this relationship with the government to get paid. So there there is that accountability, but there is this there is this empathy thing that uh, that it's really hard to it's really hard to distance. I, I mean, it should be one and the same, right? They should be, yeah, but it's, but it's, but it's just not. Yeah. Well, and I mean, if they were the only two in this, in this government, in this cabinet that spoke like that, then you could sit there and go, Hey, um, premier Kenny, once this is all done, these two need to go away because right. They are making the rest of your government look bad. You guys are doing a fantastic job, except for these two in, you know, in the two profiles that cover, what, 70% of the budget between health yes. and education? Yeah. The, they, they handle such a small wedge of the budget. <laughs> With the exception of these two, uh, everybody else is doing great. You know, looking forward to another 12 more years. Fantastic. Let's go. But I mean, you've got you've got things where it's like, the deputy speaker making comment going, this aren't, isn't, you know, these aren't easy choices, but you can't be compassionate if it's not sustainable. Uh, that, that was her conversation with local constituents on Facebook. So, so I will applaud her on being accountable to her constituents on Facebook. I, this is, <laughs> this is why you pay for press secretaries. <laughs> Yes. Okay, I would agree with that. But at the same, yeah, at the same time, it's like you were saying, it seems to be uh, an uncomfortable pattern that's been going on, you know, for a bit, because also within this, you know, within this same very recent time, we had that conservative leadership race that just didn't seem to want to go away. Yeah. Well, like it, I mean, it's, it's just not reading the room. And so you have to ask the question, why? Well, it's not an accountability thing at that point. It's purely an empathy thing. Hmm. Okay, I would I, agree with that. I, I'm, I'm not relating to Canadians because I'm lacking that empathetic streak in myself. So I'm going to continue on with my own merry way. And as I... As I tweeted today, <clears throat> the lack of empathy in an individual is sometimes referred to as apathy or sometimes referred to as psychopathy. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I don't think the actions are that of apathetic people. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. And now is this, do you think, is this a result of a populist rather than a conservative 
governance uh, ideology. Oh, you just want to wind me up today, don't you? <laughs> That's exactly where it seemed to be going is why? Why are we seeing this? Because you talked about it, you talked about it during our uh, during our lockdown happy hour on the weekend, and it was what is the role of opposition right now? And mm-hmm. you know, so we've we've got this at least in Alberta and and in a couple of other provinces too, but other provinces seem to be handling their public life a little better right now than Alberta is. But so we have this we have this provincial government that is, you know, supposedly conservative. We have this opposition federally that is supposedly conservative. And we're seeing very similar acts. We're seeing we're seeing similar behaviors out of both of them. Yeah, um, and I've been on previous podcasts with you where I have railed against populist and populist governments quite extensively. Um, I'm not a fan of them. Uh, they're, 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 well, how's the best one? Populists and conservative clothing. Um, they, they purport to be conservatives. They purport to be fiscal conservatives. But when it comes to good governance, <clears throat> that goes out the window. And we're in the state right now where we need good governance. We need people who have got a finger on the pulse of what's really going on in their cities, in their ridings, in their province, in this country. And they're off in la la land. They're, they're trying to get phone calls on 1950 rotary phones. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's gobsmacking. And I, and I think this is really where, you know, and you're seeing the same thing down in the United States where, oh. you know, got a very much a populist president. I have told you whatever you wanted to hear, just give me the reins of power. And people did. And now we're seeing the impact. They went from this isn't going to be an issue and only 15 people are infected and we'll be down to zero the next day to today. They're declaring that 200,000 people dead would be a victory. That's I believe it that's was un, under 100,000. No, no, they they all did up. they up it. Good yeah. God. Yeah. So and and they're speaking as 200,000 people dead being a win. And and this is that's what drives me nuts with Paul populists altogether because they will tell you whatever you want to hear. But there's just, no way that people are like, that's what I wanted to hear. Sure it is. People want to pay less. <laughs> well, they didn't want to they didn't want to hear that, oh hey, you know, elect me and I'm gonna I'm gonna kill two hundred thousand people. That's not a great platform. No, no, that wouldn't work. Yeah, that because you know there might be odds that I'm actually one of the two hundred thousand. But but if you campaign on I'm going to lower taxes, I'm going to take a pay cut. That's the big one today. So, you know, the big outrage today is that um, this week the federal MPs uh, indexing has them get a pay raise, and and then so do the so do the local uh, local MLAs and and people had to come back going, oh no, look here was the orders they had back when they took a five percent pay cut. We're not taking a raise this year. Is that really what we're talking about? Are we so worried about now? I know the whack of people just got laid off 25,000 from the Department of Education, plus 6,900 from WestJet, plus, 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 plus. And I could go on with pluses for another half an hour. I know people don't want to hear that our elected officials got a pay raise in the time of everything else. But the whole point is, is that why we indexed it 
was that we would never have it politicized ever again that politicians were getting a pay raise. Yeah. Which is also why we indexed a whole bunch of things like yeah. age. <laughs> yeah, which I also said they should be indexed, minimum wage be indexed. Like these things that we love to to run around and campaign on. I'm going to do this. No, just index it and be a normal human like the rest of us. Like, you know, not everybody gets a 3% raise, but if you're on these programs, 3% is, is a huge thing. Now, yeah. you can go to my Twitter feed to see my arguments of why I still think politicians should have got an uh, index raise this year, but. I oh, Mark. What? That's so big. <laughs> I hashtagged it with an unpopular opinion before it, so. <laughs> uh, well, then everything's fine. But, but, uh, and but and, I, and just so just so people know where they can find Mark's Twitter, it's at ab Mark Taylor. Yes. yes. All common English spellings. <laughs> no seeds. No so. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I I think what we're seeing right now is what happens when you elect populists. Now, do you think that populists think it's a bad thing? So, because right that now, they, I mean, what was that? Elected? No, hell, they, they think it's a great thing they got elected. Okay, and I, that just came out. I think they're crapping their pants and, you know, this is why they're under undue stress and going to have conversations with constituents on a driveway. And there's that. Okay, so uh, it's it's really hard to get into the mind of of that populism, uh, I guess, preference, because, because I'm not there. And so I guess I would question at this point in time, I would question whether or not it was a good idea to elect populists, but I didn't do it in the first place. So is there a way to get into that mindset to say this is still okay? I mean, there are still people who are saying that we're overreacting. Just let people get it and it'll be fine. Now, obviously, those people have absolutely no idea of what could happen to our healthcare system in the meantime, which is weird they to also, me. They also don't seem to have the ability to um, have any scientific literacy. Like, like there was... I saw it this morning on Twitter. Somebody had put out one. I think it was Angus Reid that had the poll out where, you know, they broke down. Um, it was three different bar graphs. It was how did how did people vote in the last election? Do you think enough is being done for COVID? And do, do you think this is this is overblown? Yeah. And and proportionally to voting the um, are we doing enough was close to how we voted. But when you took a look at the people who thought this was overblown, 64% of them were conservatives. Yeah. Voted con sorry, 64% voted conservative. Right. <laughs> May not actually be conservatives. So, Disclaimer. Yeah. And, and, and I, I really want to dig into that later about why, why we, and not later tonight, but um, later why we have such a problem with scientific institutions and with government bureaucracy which kind of goes hand in hand with why populists are a pain in my ass <laughs> because well. because 
it's it's this whole premise of us versus them. This is the whole architecture of a populist movement. And it starts with us as the little folk against the big old meanies in the government. But we don't separate out the the agencies from the politicians. So all right. government is bad. Until you win government. Then government can't be bad anymore because we're now the government. And so you have to go and find your new enemies. And so Donald Trump has clearly made it the press. Yes. I mean, you know, if we hear fake news one more time, like it's insane. He's fighting with them. Alberta has now decided that our latest enemy is our healthcare system. And it was the doctors. Yeah. Well, that was just a, I mean, a lot of, but, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's, a, <laughs> it's not going to be a battle that's going to go over well because, because you're not going, like the whole idea of a premise uh, of a populist party and a populist movement is that you have to have to have the people behind you. Right. We're going to come out of a pandemic. People are dying. More people will die. People are going to get sick. People are going to be on respirators and ventilators. And, and through all that, there's going to be a ton of horror stories. Mm -hmm. You can't demonize the gov the doctors after a pandemic. All the kids are at home getting homeschooling right now, driving parents nuts. <laughs> they, parents are getting a great appreciation for our educational system right now. Yeah. And every day this goes on, they're getting greater appreciation. You can't pick a, you can't pick a fight with teachers after, after this. this. Okay. So then, Mark, wave your magic eight ball. Who's going to be the enemy? I mean, who who is possibly going to be the enemy if if they started with? Uh, I mean, education education got hit first technically when this government was elected. They did go after education funding. Uh, I know that they said that they kept it straight, but you know they reduced grants. Every almost every uh, school board noted. A shortfall, million dollar shortfall. Uh, some of them were multi, multi million dollar shortfalls. But, but the thing is that education was the first hit, and then it went to doctors, and then we had a pandemic. Which, I mean, let's let's at least reasonably say that even though there were signs this was happening this year. That, that we knew that this was actually going to be a big problem and possibly a global problem. They definitely didn't see that coming in uh, in April when they were elected. So, I mean, can you, you, no one can give them props for just throwing that budget through anyways, uh, because that was just ridiculous. But, I mean, I, I, who do you go after? Who do they get to I, go after? I think they go back after the media. There's going to be a ton of stories after this. How how do how do these guys operate? Who do these guys operate? Like, I I expect the media will end up being it, and expect you know the federal the federal government is going to be the other bad guy. Oh, like yes. it's it's it's, <clears throat> yep, it's the Alberta playbook. Well, like, and if you've got a Trudeau in government, I mean, 
nobody could have been that lucky. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the other one is, is we've still got three years to the next election. We they do. Got plenty, we got plenty of time. We got plenty of time to make Russia the bad guys. And But do you think, I mean... It was easy to say, look at all of these doctors making all of this money. Look at all of these teachers making all of this money. It's That's home. That's right here. Yeah. Is it is it honestly easy to make a foreign government, a foreign country, the well, enemy? Well, you can you could you could run with the premise that did the Trudeau government do enough to combat Putin? Okay, I just feel weirdly like we're going to end up being in some sort of weird Trump argument. Could they manage that? Could could they manage to to put Trudeau in league with Putin? Like, try. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is is that the people the people who don't like Kenny don't like Kenny. And the people who don't like Trudeau don't like Trudeau. So, I mean, the question is, is that, is your case enough to move people from one camp to the other? Well, you know, there's more people who dislike Trudeau and vote conservative in this province than dislike Kenny and vote not conservative. Yeah, that's true. There were a lot of, so, I think there was a lot so, of nose holding. How, how, do you, how do you keep people home? How, you know, like, like obviously the NDP is going to come forward in 2023 with a strong... Uh, education and health policy. Beyond that, um, it, it's going to be economy versus services, much like it was in 20, 2019. Yeah, except that this one's just going to be bigger. Yeah, well, and so, you know, does Russia get their three years of running this at 20 bucks a barrel? You know, if if Russia can get away with that for three more years, you've got a bad guy there. What then you can point to all the things that the federal government hasn't done and blah, blah, blah. Like the playbooks are going to be pretty obvious is that the conservatives are going to run a it's about the economy. I and I asked the question again on the weekend is what is a post pandemic conservative look like? How do you how do you how do you promote austerity in, in this in this time and age where we're not even sure we're like most of the planet isn't even through the first wave. We're not even sure if uh, China is getting the second wave. How do you how do you claim austerity after all that? Well, I think that's going to be tough for them. It's interesting. With I'm still getting emails about uh, from the leadership candidates, and uh, Leslin Lewis is still advocating basically for. Uh, someone to tighten up that fiscal conservatism after all the spending that is going to be required to keep this country afloat. Short-sighted. Like, we're, we're going to run a massive deficit. We're going to have a debt. The, the, the solution isn't, let's, let's talk about austerity measures. No, no. It's, it's definitely more on... Uh, on you know how to keep everything going but you know this is this is something that exactly as you said the uh the lack of empathy 
because right now we have so many people that some people are hanging on, be it, you know, supermarkets or grocery stores or department stores that are still managing to make sales stay open because they are uh, essential services. Yeah. So you have you have some businesses that are able to do that. You've got other businesses that, you know, have managed to send their employee, their workforce home and they can still do their jobs. Right. So not everyone has totally shut down, but some people absolutely have. And I've kind of liked some of the language that I've heard that it's not just getting through this. It's actually bridging to the aftermath of, you know, where do people have the money to spend when stores open back up again? Well, and do stores open up again? Like what's what's the new economy look like? I mean, I ordered beer on the weekend. They dropped it off at my uh, (laughs) on my step. What, you know, a few more weeks and months of that. Why would I go to a liquor store? Ah, so you're talking about you're talking about even massive change that might come from the way that this is done. It's just people get used to doing it differently. Well, it's, it's pattern. We you know we we talk about oh you want a habit do something for three weeks and and it's now a habit. Okay, great. What about three months? Yeah. What about six months? Like, you know, maybe the kids go back to school in September. There's a lot of parents have got fingers crossed for that. <laughs> but what, you know, there are so many things that are being impacted on the short term that we're not, like, when you start looking at what happens if, what happens if we see a second spike in China? and the second spike in Italy. What are we doing then? How does that impact things? How, you know, and and we talked about it previously, like what does politics look like post-pandemic when you can't put 40,000 people in a stadium in the United States, or you can't put 2,500 people in a uh, room in Red Deer for the next UCP? Like, if you can't do that, how do you rally people? What does that look like for politics? What is what does the economy look like? You know, you know, we're talking about before this slowdown, 25, 30 percent occupancy or uh, vacancy rate in downtown Calgary. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, now yeah. pushing, we're now pushing close to 100. And once the companies have figured out that they can run the, their uh, um, most of their operations with three boardrooms and a server room. Then what does that do? Yeah. Why? Why would they come back to downtown Calgary? And if you thought if you thought twenty dollar oil was going to kill uh, downtown Calgary, uh, what about a whack of empty rooms at that? What does that do? Like when you realize you can run an oil company off of five laptops? Yeah. Oh my God, Mark, that was actually uh, that was something that I had thought about with. Um, just people that were saying, I can do whatever job from anywhere. And the one thing that I thought of was that would open up the possibility of people not hiring within the province. That was one thing about having that physical presence is that that actually gave you a, gave you an edge, right? You already live in Calgary when you're applying for a job in Calgary. 
but after this, if you don't need to live in Calgary, well, suddenly you're not just looking at, you know, this many people in Calgary who are after, or sorry, who are also, uh, what, um, competent enough to do that job. But now we can look at Saskatchewan and BC and heck, we can look in Ontario and maybe we can look across the border and maybe we can look across the, the ocean. Before the, before the, um, pandemic there were united there were states and i think like new hampshire was one maybe vermont up in that neck of the woods anyway there were towns that were offering um incentives for gig type economy people to move there because we have the internet come work come live in vermont like like that you know and 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 the incentive was is that you know you would get you know, a, a considerable cash payment for for relocating because if your job doesn't care where you are, does it matter if you're in a high-priced Silicon Valley or are you in Phoenix or are you in somewhere that has an internet connection? Right. Well, and that's what, that was actually one, that was also looked at as a benefit of this potential that so many people had moved to the cities because that's where they needed to be for work. And that this might open everyone's eyes to the fact that no, you can live anywhere. So small town, Alberta, if they have that decent internet connection, which not everyone does, but that would small province to do it. Well, and I, they've been supposedly they've been working on it with TELUS. Um, Yes, working to get that. Uh, I will say Martin Shields, he is the MP for Bow River and my MP. So one of the things that we talked about was he said, it's not even the last town that we need uh, better internet connection. We need it to uh, we need it to the last cattle gate is how he put it. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that we need to have internet wherever we are. And it's not just the town it's outside of the town. It's absolutely everywhere has to be connected. And you've if got, they manage that. you got farmers who harvest on GPS. Mm-hmm. So they, they need the connectivity. You're running a $400,000, $500,000 piece of equipment on GPS to ensure you're getting premium um, tillage and premium harvesting and you're not you know, overseeding, you can see it now. You drive by a field, you can see that perfect row as as the grains grow. Because they're this the internet's needed everywhere. People are designing their so you know there's gonna be jobs that you know there there are some jobs that you can't do remote. My chiropractor will not be able to crack my neck remotely. It's true. There are some hands-on functions that won't go away. However, mm. if you're if you're in an office, <laughs> what? There's a cloud. You sign into the cloud. You get the documents. You, you sign. People are. There's going to be more and more home offices. Yeah. No, I think that's. Yeah. I think that's right. And we slightly went off topic again, but you know. <laughs> But I mean, how do you even bring that? How do you even bring that back to to government accountability? Because well, if it, it comes back to this is a government who's not looking 
forward. They're looking at their next fight. And they're not, they're not looking at this. Like, you've got one minister who's supposed to be in charge of what the hell's going on right now. Great. Do your job. <laughs> but every other minister right now should be looking, going, what does this look like for us six months down the road? How, yeah. was, how is tourism the number four, I think, revenue stream for Alberta? What does tourism look like for Alberta six months from now? Mm -hmm. Who's coming to ski in Jasper and Banff? Who's coming to the Badlands next year? Are we getting any film crews up here? But again, those are things that you can't do remotely. I mean, but my point is we're back to the government type thing. We have a minister of culture who should be looking at what does tourism look like i'm assuming tourism is still under culture um but they 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 need to be asking those questions like that's what they should be working on right now and it's very i mean it is very possible that behind closed doors that is something that they are trying to figure out because no matter when we actually come out of this we are going to need a government that is ready to go yeah. We're going to need a government that has plans. And the plan I, can't I, be going to Ottawa, hoping that uh, the um, the guy with the horrible last name will give you some money, or really hoping that somehow there's a federal election trigger so that you can try and get your guy elected. That and can't even be, they have the same problem yeah, at this point. But that can't be Alberta's solution. Yeah, no, it can't. But... As I said, what's the strategy in 2023 going to be? Blame Ottawa. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and in the meantime, like I can see how they wouldn't necessarily be sharing that uh, that planning. Which actually, when it comes down to it, there is something that the opposition could be doing. Yeah. The opposition could be because they're because like we've talked about as well. If they're not helping, if they're not suggesting better things or sorry ways to make things better for everyone right now they're not useful so here's something that they can be doing because you know in some cases like we've kind of decided we're not listening to a lot of opposition no like we're just we're just ignoring them because if they're like you said if they're not helping they're not worth our time they're they're just they're just noise so there is something that the opposition can be doing, and that is starting to figure out as well, what does what does the post-pandemic economy look like? What does the post-pandemic education system look like? <laughs> you can hear that, can you? <laughs> yes, I can. Okay. Um, but yeah, like that's something that they can be doing that would be a better use of their time than you know, consistently going after the government because it it is, it's too much for people to handle. We've got enough on our plates. Ask, ask, ask the ministers, you know, what's the future of provincial parks going to be in a year? How, how are we, how are we change? How are we having provincial parks work with tourism? How are we, what is, what is our plan for tourism? How are we going to bring, uh, you know, we, you know, Hollywood North, 
how is any of the, like those are the questions that could be asked mm. and and not in gotcha moments just ask the question get people thinking about those things of course you know there's a whole chunk of the one of the estates i think it's a fourth uh who if they were looking for stories that didn't involve um the immediate actions of uh, the government and pandemics to be asking those questions. What's yeah. what's going? What is going on in the Ministry of Culture right now? Yeah, no one's asking that question. I don't know what they're doing up there. <laughs> um, well, welcome to having kids at home. We've already covered that topic, <laughs> and it will be covered. Again, Very shortly. And again, and again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but do we have enough? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, I do. I, I think that'd be a fantastic time to stop with the basketball okay. and the barking dogs. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Do we even have a sign off? Uh, I'm Mark. That's Deirdre. That's Deirdre's dog. <laughs> the Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Mm-hmm.